Now, I want to begin today with a couple of statements, and then I'll show you a picture in just a moment. It's not a picture I want you to see, but you need to see it. Uh, someone said one time that we have to see some things to believe it. Is that a true statement? Do you have to see some things to believe it? Is that a true statement? Now, we've said that our whole lives, haven't we? Some things you just need to see to believe. Is it true? It's not true if you trust the teller. You hear me? It's not true if you trust the one who is sharing the story, right? But there are still stories and pictures that strain one's ability to comprehend. I'm going to show you in just a moment a picture. It's terrible. Um, it was taken in the latter part of 1993. The picture was taken by a photojournalist named Kevin Carter. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 1994. Go ahead and show it, Ashley, just for a moment. It's entitled, The Vulture and the Little Girl. Take just a moment to look at it. it it'll stay with you. It'll stay with you. Go ahead and take it off, please, Ashley. I don't like to show that picture long because our thoughts focus on it. Now, since that time, it was discovered it was not a little girl. It was a little boy. doesn't matter. It was during the southern Sudan uprising, one of their many civil wars. Terrible famine beset the country, as is true today. We have feeding units in Sudan right now among our mission work. That little boy, they thought it was a girl, was within 200 yards of an aid station where she, he could have gotten help. Kevin Carter took that picture made him famous. It's almost hard to believe a picture like that. He got famous and went and started lecturing and people would pull that picture up and finally someone one day raised their hand and said, Mr. Carter, what happened to the little girl? Carter said, well, I don't know. Excuse me? What happened to the little girl? Found out later it was a little boy. And to help you today, it has been discovered the little boy did live until he was 14. Died of a terrible form of malaria. But Mr. Carter, what happened to the little girl? I don't know. Did you not help the little girl? No, I didn't. You see, photojournalists are not supposed to get involved in the lives of their subjects. Well, that didn't go over real well. Then or now, there were many issues in Mr. Carter's life. He was a thrill seeker. He had many issues in his personal life. And not four months later, he took his life. It's a terrible story. It's a terrible picture. And you have to say, is that even true? Oh, it was true, all right. I used to preach a sermon on Save the Girl. You see, there are little girls and little boys all around the right within sound distance of this church house who are going to die. Maybe not physically like that little girl, little boy, but they need the gospel. 
And there are people even in this gospel-saturated area who are going to die and go to hell because no one told them the good news of Christ. Are some stories so powerful, some pictures so poignant that one must see it to believe it? Well, not if you trust the teller of the story. But as human beings, we're always prone to want some kind of proof. You see the videos that were shown earlier. We have that tendency to want to see some proof, right? Uh, Christians are just like that. Years ago, years ago, I got a letter in the mail. Oh, it was red. And I think it may be up on the screen so you can just see what it said. But it was one of those I thought, really? It said, the slanting of the sun means the world is coming to an end. There is not much time. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The sun is coming up slanted and going down slanted in all directions for the first time in the history of the world. Well, I'm sure the person that wrote this had a good heart. But sometimes the passion of our heart outweighs the IQ of our brains. The sun's not coming up in different directions and it's not going down in different directions. But this person thought they had found proof positive. I even put down the return address in case you ever want to write this dear person in Augusta, Georgia. Everybody looking for proof looking for a sign. Here's the point that I'm trying to make to you. We don't need a sign. We need a Savior. The title of the message is When Believing is Not Seeing. Thomas, we're going to read about, basically said seeing is believing. But what happens when believing is seeing and when it's not? Let's look at John chapter 20, beginning with verse 26. John 26, John 20, beginning with verse 26, going through verse 31. And you say, well, you're taking forever to get through the gospel of John. Yes, I am. But some of these verses I just have to slow down a little bit on because they are so powerful. John 20, beginning with verse 26. After eight days, after eight days of what? Since his resurrection. Since the resurrection, after eight days, his disciples were indoors again. And Thomas was with them. Indicating what? That he hadn't been with them before. We'll come to that. He is with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And observe my hands. Put your, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever. But be what? Be a believer, Thomas. Thomas responded to him and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Jesus performed many of the signs, other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written. Why? I want you to read verse 31 out loud with me, please. 
But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. What a powerful way to end the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. We've already seen in previous verses how many of the disciples' faith was changed from fear to courage. We see yet two more results this morning. So stay with me. Gird your spiritual loins because this is some powerful stuff. First, we see that Jesus changed unbelief to confidence. Unbelief to confidence. In verses 26, 27, and 28, we see that happening. Now ask the question, why was Thomas not with the other disciples in the previous times where Jesus had manifest himself to them? Why was Thomas not there? Well, again, I told you, I always have an answer for every question you have. And sometimes that answer is what? I don't know. And if you don't like that, you just have to get over it. Well... I don't know why Thomas was not there. Now, I have an idea. I do have some ideas. Perhaps he was so disappointed in Christ's seeming defeat on the cross that he went into a hole to hide. Now, when discouragement and disappointment and defeat come into our lives, what is our human tendency? It's to pull away and be silent and alone, right? We just want to get along. We want to crawl off like a wounded animal and be by ourselves in a hole. When at the very time we do that is when we need other people the most. When we pull into ourselves, it only makes us alone and sometimes even bitter. That's the time when we really need others the most. And he needed to be with his friends, but he wasn't. Solitude can only bring about further discouragement. Maybe he was disappointed. Maybe some say he was just afraid. He was afraid because if I show up with these guys, they're going to get arrested and I don't want to get arrested. Maybe he was frightened. I don't think that's true because back in John 11, we saw him make a grand statement, I think, in honesty, where he said to Jesus, I'll stay with you to the end, Jesus. But as soon as the end came in his mind, he was out of there. John 14 seems to indicate he was spiritually minded. He had deep questions, but we know from this text that he had a pessimistic outlook. He really did. Thus the title that's been given to him now all these centuries since. He is who? Doubting Thomas. Well, Jesus did not rebuke him for his doubts. But Jesus did rebuke him for his unbelief. Now look carefully. Listen to this as a slight differentiation. I believe that doubt is often an intellectual problem. We'll come back to this. Whereas unbelief is a moral issue, we will not believe. It's not an issue of doubt. It's an issue of moral stubbornness. So what was it he was struggling with? What was it poor Thomas was doubting? Well, he was doubting, as the video showed just a while ago, he was doubting the resurrection of Christ. Can it be true? It surely is not true. Really, he did not raise up from the dead. You've got to admit him wanting a personal 
experience with Christ, but you have to fault him for laying down conditions. Unless I see those nail prints, unless I see the scar in the side, I will not believe. That's a moral problem. That's a stubbornness of the heart. By the way, you know what Thomas's name? It's by the way, Thomas is Aramaic. You know what it means? Same thing as it means in Greek, which was Didymus. You know what it means? We well, ought to, because you are his twin. It means twin, and I believe many of us are twins to Thomas. In our 21st century scientific mindset, we want proof. God, you prove it to me, and I'll believe. But if you don't prove it to me, I'm not going to believe. By the way, Thomas' situation in this instance is a good warning to all of us. He spent a whole week without the companion and the reassurance of his disciples. So what happened? He missed seeing Christ. He missed the great commission that Jesus had already given to them. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. He had already missed words of peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had spent a whole week of fear and doubt when he could have had a week of spiritual victory. See what happens when you miss coming to church? You never know what you're going to miss. And you ought not miss because you never know what God might say to you. Well, he missed coming to church. Well, I just mean that in a funny way, but he sure missed being with Christ. Well you got to give him credit for showing up the next week. So if you miss, at least you can come back next week. Well, he did. And he wanted to see the hands inside of the Lord. He wanted to see the physical evidence. Thomas made the test. Seeing is believing. You have to see it in order to believe it. Well, Thomas' words help us to understand the doubt, the difference between doubt and unbelief, as I just pointed out earlier. Doubt says, I cannot believe. Unbelief says, I won't believe. Do you hear me? Doubt says, I can't. There's some things I can't figure out. But unbelief says, I won't allow myself to believe. Well, the Bible says that Jesus had heard all this. Look at verse 27. Jesus responds to Thomas's words. How did he know what Thomas had said? You ever thought about that? How did Jesus know what Thomas had already said? He was not in his presence at the time. Oh, my friends, he knows what you've said. He knows what you've thought. And all God's people said, ouch. No amen to that one. It's an ouch moment. He knows what we think. He knows what we say. He knows. And he knew what Thomas had said. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Okay, Thomas, I see something dangerous happening in your life. I see an unbelief that is spiritually dangerous. So I'm going to allow you, Thomas, to believe because you see. But I want you to see because you believe. Go ahead, Thomas. Here's my hands. Here's the marks where the nail was. Here's my side where the sword pierced me. Go ahead and take a look, see. Oh, by the way, the Bible doesn't say that Thomas actually did it. 
he might have said, okay, let me examine this. The Bible doesn't say that he actually did that, but at that moment, what did Thomas say to the Lord Jesus? You are my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And to that time, that was the greatest statement of faith ever uttered by a disciple at that point in time. My Lord and my God. Jesus dealt with him at his personal level. And how good God is to deal with us and stoop down to our level to help us in our time of not understanding and not believing. Jesus saw the process that worked in Thomas' heart. And he wanted to step in and stop it. Well, it's not easy to understand the psychology of doubt and pessimism and unbelief. Some people say, well, it's a personality trait. There are people who are just born to doubt, while other people are born to trust. I've got some grandchildren that just are, just seem to be the most trusting children I've ever seen in my life. Why? They've never been taught they can't trust people. They believe everybody loves them. They believe everybody is good. Well, someday, the parents, not the grandparents, the parents will have to teach them, you can't trust everybody. You can't love everybody. I won't tell them that, but the parents will have to do that. Well, we don't know why some people trust and other people do not trust. Verse 29 indicates that Thomas' testimony did not come from touching Christ, but from seeing Christ. My Lord and my God came when he saw the wounds. But it was an encouragement to see his faith strengthened. It reminds us in our own lives, doesn't it, that unbelief robs us of blessings. Unbelief robs us of opportunities. We think it's sophisticated. We think it's intellectual. But listen carefully to me. It's an evidence of hard hearts and not of searching minds. Everybody lives by faith. Everybody lives by faith. I've told you before the time I was sitting on the front row in, in Athens, Georgia. Little children's program getting ready to go on and beautiful little children up there just to singing. And I was sitting there and this Chinese couple were sitting beside of me. I did not attend the church, but they had let the little girl come. Both PhD scientists at the University of Georgia. And I was just the interim temp pastor, I trying to get to know everybody. I said, listen, y'all come to church here? You members here? Oh, no, 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 we're not Christians. I said, really? Oh, no, 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 we're scientists. We can't have faith. The woman said to me, she was sitting right beside me. I said, oh, really? Oh, yes, we're scientists. We can't have faith. I said, dear lady, everybody has faith in something. Oh, no, not us. Husband's ears perked up. I said, ma'am. You have faith in the scientific processes by which you work. And by the way, those scientific processes change about every 30 to 40 years. She was aghast. The husband leaned over and said, Honey, he's right. The things we believe are true in science have changed over the years dramatically. And we do have faith in the scientific processes that we live by and work by. Everybody has faith, but looking carefully to the screen. You see, Christians put their faith in God and His Word, but unsaved people put their faith in themselves. Let me tell you something. I was listening to a 
TV preacher today, Ralph Sexton up in Asheville, North Carolina. He said something right. He said, he didn't use the words I'm using, but our world's in a mess. And I say to it, you know, how could it not be in a mess when not only do the people out there not believe, when half the people in here don't believe? How could we not be in a mess when half the people or more of people who call themselves people of faith doubt the things of God? Really? Christians put their faith in the Word of God and in the Lord Himself while people who are not people of faith put their faith in themselves. I believe we ought to believe the teller of the story. I believe he's worthy of trust and worthy of acceptation. I believe we ought to trust the teller of the story. Oh, you have to see it to believe it. No, I don't have to see it to believe it because I believe the one who's telling the story. Jesus also changed death to life. Let's finish up here. He changed death to life. Look at those last few verses. It's powerful. You see, John is concluding this gospel story. And to me, it's one of the most poignant and powerful of all the sections. Why? Because he has moved from a teaching narrative to say, here's what it should do to you. Those who will read this writing, those who over the centuries will read these words, this is what should happen to you. Let's see what he says here. You see, look at verse 29. He says it so powerfully. Because you have seen me, you've believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. Jesus performed lots of other miracles in the presence of his disciples that are not even written in this book. You don't know everything Jesus did. I don't know everything Jesus did. But these are written. Look at verse 31. This is to you. This is to you. These are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have new life in His name. You see, that's why John wrote this gospel. So that people of every age could know that Jesus is God. Not necessary to see Jesus to believe. Oh, someday He's going to split the eastern sky wide open. You will see him. And the Bible says every person on earth will see him at the same time. You say, well, that's not possible. Through satellite technology, oh, it is very possible today. But let me tell you something. What a blessing, he says, is for those who see, who believe, even when they don't see. The early Christians had the blessing of seeing the resurrected Christ. We don't. But I will tell you, it's not what saved them by seeing him. What saved them was believing him. John's Gospel uses the phrase believe 100 times. Because it's so important to believe. You and I cannot see Christ, but we know from the Scripture that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. As you read the Gospel of John, you can come face to face with the resurrected Savior. You can come face to face with the resurrected Savior. And there's nothing more powerful than that. The signs that John selected out of the many that Jesus performed invites you to trust that you can trust the teller of the story. For those of us that have given our lives to Christ, we ought to give thanks. But those who haven't, 
Today, he offers you the chance to believe. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you can have life in his name. Oh, some things you got to see to believe? No. No. Trust the teller. Trust the teller of the story. That may not be grammatically totally correct, but trust the teller of the story. Do you? Do you have life? I pray you can say yes. And if not, you ought to be begging God right now, Lord Jesus, save me. Save me. Come into my life. Make me new so that I might have life. Because I believe. Even when I don't see. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray for the salvation of every man, woman, boy, and girl in this place. I pray that you would save our lives, our souls. I pray that you would make us new by believing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, sent from you, by you, to save us. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen.